Hello and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series. I'm Stacy McKenna and I will be moderating today's discussion. We're pleased to have Dr. Phyllis Chesler join us to discuss her latest book, A Family Conspiracy, Honor Killing. Dr. Chesler will speak for five to 10 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. We'll do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants participants on this webinar today. So I apologize in advance if we do not get tears. And with that, I will turn the discussion to over Dr. I will turn the discussion over to Dr. Phyllis Chesler. Hello everyone. In our lifetimes, the barbaric practice of honor killing has immigrated from Kabul, Delhi, Gaza, and Cairo and into the West. Honor killings are perpetrated by both Muslims and Hindus, but Hindus only in India, and to a lesser extent by Sikhs. In the West, this is mainly a Muslim on Muslim phenomenon. However, those Westerners, and their names are legion, who believe it is shameful to expose anything negative about Muslims, especially if it's true, silence such exposure by shaming it as racist and Islamophobic. An honor killing is the cold-blooded murder of girls and women by their families of origin. To a lesser extent, wives are murdered by husbands. Being born female in a shame and honor tribal culture is potentially a capital crime. Even an innocent girl can be falsely accused and killed on the spot. One's own father or mother or intimate relatives have been known to collaborate with the de designated hands-on killer. A girl's virginity and reproductive capacity, her fertility, are owned by her family, literally, not by the girl herself. She represents their honor. If a girl is seen as damaged goods, her family will then be responsible for her economically for the rest of her life. This is a killing offense. Her family must cleanse themselves of this shame with blood, her blood. Becoming too westernized, wanting to choose your own spouse, refusing to marry a first cousin, daring to have infidel friends, wanting more education, Falling in love and marrying outside of one's religious sect or caste, or allegedly engaging in sex outside of marriage, and wanting a higher education are all killing offenses. Any family, and this is very important, that fails to kill a disobedient girl or woman will find that no one will marry their other children or deal with them economically. They'll be shunned. Therefore, honor killers who are finally uh, caught, jailed, prosecuted, tried, they claim that they're only acting in self-defense, that communal norms drove them to it. And they have a point, and that means that we need to focus on communal norms partly in order to solve this barbarism. My generation of feminists believed in universal human rights. We were not multicultural relativists. We called out misogyny when we saw it. We did not exempt a rapist, a wife beater, or a pedophile. 
because he was poor. His victims were poor. Or a man of color, his victims were also people of color. Or because he had an abused childhood, so did, so did his victims. Like other American feminists, I was active in the civil rights movement in the 1960s. But early in that decade, I had once lived in a harem in Afghanistan. This is the opening sentence of my book, An American Bride in Kabul. I lived with my mother-in-law in a polygamous household in very posh Perga, and this meant I was not allowed out without a male escort. My father-in-law had three wives and 21 children, facts that my very westernized husband failed to mention during our American college courtship. I saw women in burkas stumbling around on the streets of Kabul and forced quite literally to sit at the back of the bus, and this was before Rosa Parks in the United States. Therefore, I was aware very early on that worldwide most women are kept illiterate, are impoverished, are forced to marry men not of their choosing when they themselves are still children. And as girls, they're expected to meet impossibly high standards of subordinate behavior. And if they fail to do so, they risk severe punishment. I first heard about honor killings long ago. But then post the Intifada of 2000, post 9-11, I began to focus more urgently on gender and religious apartheid among Muslims worldwide. Honor killings had come to North America, but there were many more honor killings in Europe since a large immigrant, mainly Muslim population, had moved there. Many were torture murders marked by excessive violence, such as repeated stabbing, raping, bludgeoning, or being set aflame. Such killings are similar to what serial killers do to unknown, often prostituted women in the West. I published my first study in 2009 in Middle East Quarterly, and I charted the specific differences between Western domestic violence and honor killing. Honor killings are carefully planned conspiracies, intimate relatives commit the murders, women, mothers, sisters, aunts collaborate, instigate the murders of the targeted daughter, and are sometimes hands-on themselves. Such killers are viewed as heroes and they show no remorse. Batterers who become homicidal towards wives in the West are acting alone. It's not a family of origin conspiracy. While it's threatened for many years, it happens suddenly, spontaneously. Usually in the West, fathers don't kill teenage daughters and, and if they do kill, they are arrested most of the time, some of the time, and are prosecuted in jail. This does not happen outside of the West. Uh, they're shunned also by families. I then, in 2010, published Worldwide Trends in Honor Killing, again in Middle East Quarterly. I studied 230 cases which took place between 1989 and 2009 
in Europe, North America, and in the Muslim world. And I found two different kinds of honor killings or two different targets. One is very young, average age of 17 years old. And the second, less frequent, is an average age of 36. These differences were statistically significant. And the younger age victims were killed by families of origin 80, 81% of the time worldwide. And the motives were very different statistically across continents. Uh, in the East, an inappropriate sexual act was the cause. And I think in Europe, the torture murders are meant as uh, object lessons of what could happen to those girls and women who dare to westernize at all or too much. But then I thought, let me look at a comparison of Hindus and Muslims. And in 2012, I published my third study and found statistically significant differences in terms of motives. Hindus who only do this in India, those who immigrate to the West don't do this, they kill for reasons of caste violation. And um, they all, will some of the time kill the boys as well as the girls. Muslims more rarely will kill the boys or the men. And um, so there are differences, but Hindus do perpetrate this barbarism in India. And I finally in 2015 published a study about women's involvement. And, you know, it's not surprising women have internalized the same patriarchal and tribal beliefs that men have. And in addition, they're responsible for keeping their daughters in line. They will pay a heavy price if their daughters dishonor the family. So very often women will lure, mothers will lure their daughters home saying, it's okay, he'll forgive you, we'll work it out. And then she dies. And in America, such mothers uh, have rarely been charged, which is something I want you to keep in mind. I decided after many years that this is not based in any particular religion, this practice. It's a tribal practice. And I made a point of stressing tribalism over religion. Now, surprisingly, what are you going to do? Few ex-Muslim dissidents heard me. They were too invested in blaming Islam. More interesting, even fewer Islamists understood that my tentative conclusion helped support the argument that honor killings are not necessarily religiously mandated. This is important because it gives genuine Muslim reformers a basis upon which to condemn it as anti-Islam. Today, my closest allies are not faux feminists for Palestine. I work with genuine dissidents. None of us are politically correct. Uh, we are anti-Islamist or anti-Shariists. As the feminists of yore, we share one universal standard of human rights. We support post-enlightenment Western values, such as individual human and women's rights. And I think this group and formation constitutes the most important resistance movement in our time. And many of my friends live under, they publish under pseudonyms and they live with 24 seven police protection. Now the good thing about this research, which is pioneering, 
It has enabled me to submit affidavits on behalf of Muslim and ex-Muslim girls and women in flight from being unakilled in immigrant communities and in Europe and in North America and in the Middle East, India and Africa. So I've submitted affidavits for women who came to the United States from Congo, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka and Morocco all seeking political asylum. What I hold, I hold the clergy, Muslim, Hindu, and Sikh, the, the religious leadership is responsible for failing to abolish this practice. Now abolishing human sacrifice will require mass education, consistent law enforcement, and the vigorous assistant, assistance of the clergy. This will be a huge undertaking and will involve uh, removing girls at risk from homes permanently, uh, sheltering them appropriately, entering them into federal witness protection programs because their families will never stop pursuing them, finding them adoptive families and communal networks without which they cannot thrive. Requests for political asylum should be taken seriously. Honor-based violence, including honor killing, is a human rights violation, a crime, and it must not be justified in the name of cultural relativism, tolerance, anti-racism, diversity, or political correctness. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, again, this is Dr. Chesler's book, if you would like to purchase it, I'll let you know later. But as far as the questions go, why are the media and others protective of these killings and call those against these killings Islamophobic? Ah, well, because the, the mass media, the left stream media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times has been covering Hindu honor killings in India more than they've covered Muslim Muslim honor killings in the United States or in North America, with some exceptions. Um, there's a fear, it's a misbelief, it's wrong thinking that to accuse a man of color from a formerly colonized uh, area of the world of any crime, uh, that's racism. That he, the jihadist, and this, in a sense, is domestic terrorism. It's jihad terrorism in the home. That all jihadists are justified because they've been persecuted, cheated of lands that they never occupied. Um, so the politically correct narrative means you cannot, I mean, for years I used to laugh and cry when instead of saying Muslim jihadist, the American and the European media would say the gunmen, the militants, finally when forced to it, the Janjaweed, without saying who they are, ethnic Arab Muslims, wouldn't say it because of fear of being accused of racism. And the whole idea of Islamophobia is courtesy of the Muslim Brotherhood and of Hatambazian in Berkeley, and uh, everyone drank the Kool-Aid, except for us. Thank you. I know you did mention this, but just for clarity, are honor killings part of Sharia law? No, no, they're not. 
there are usually 434 is cited in the Quran that you can chastise and um, a disobedient wife or daughter can be chastised. It shouldn't be with too big a rod. But that's not the same as saying you can take extreme measures and simply because a neighbor said that he or she saw her talking to a boy that therefore you have to kill her because many of the accusations are false and envy and gossip fuels a good deal of it. And girls in very fundamentalist families are beaten almost daily or threatened almost daily or their spirits are meant to be broken so that they will never do anything that's disobedient. Um, has the situation changed for women in countries such as Saudi Arabia? Uh, well, I'm groaning. I, I, there are some princesses who are still locked up for having been crusaders for women's rights. Those women who long ago started to drive, which now they're legally permitted to do, most recently, were fired, were quarantined without any Wuhan virus, and uh, couldn't get jobs very easily thereafter. So the mistreatment of female servants in Saudi Arabia is off the charts. They are held hostage, just as women are. They can't hold their own passports. They can't report rape. If they dare to fight back or kill in self-defense, they are beheaded. So I think that there's new times in the Gulf states now. And it may very well be that women's rights slowly, carefully will improve. But honor killings, FGM, I don't know. I don't know. What is CARE's response to this issue? Ha! <laughs> they usually point out right away in a press release and in a press conference that domestic violence, and this is not domestic violence, this is very different. They say domestic violence exists everywhere. It's terrible. We oppose it. It should end, blah, blah. And that's what they do. And they deny, they deny that it has anything to do with Islam or with Muslim history or with Muslim reality. And, and I'd say something else, that if we could do a good enough study, I think we'd see that in those families where men force extreme face veiling and extreme perdoc today, that we will find that those are families that support jihadic terrorism and or who perpetrate it. I think that there is a connection between the utter subservience of women, the former exile of all Arab Jews from Muslim lands, and this mistreatment of Muslim girls and women. You mentioned that the second most popular age of honor killings happen around 36. Why is this? Well, they're married women. And the husband, often 40% of the time in one study that I did, her family assists him. Maybe she wants to leave him because he's too violent and she can't take the beatings anymore. Maybe he thinks she's having an affair because he's paranoid and very, very jealous. And 
feels super mucho macho. So he will kill her in the name of his honor. But this is not a classic honor killing. This is what resembles Western style domestic violence. The classic honor killing is of a teenage girl, anywhere from the age of 13, 12, up until 18. That's who the prime targets are. And some of the, I'm haunted by many of the stories, one in Turkey, um, she was totally innocent. They buried her alive, buried her alive. Um, they torched them. As I said, most of the torture is in Europe because it's meant, I think, to prevent more girls from assimilating and becoming westernized. But in the East, in the wild, wild East, um, it's usually a swifter death, but sometimes it's quite torturous. Um, how I, I wish I had better news to impart, <laughs> but this is the subject. Yes, of course. Um, how realistic is it to expect the clergy to make any concerted effort to eradicate persecution of women? Wouldn't they be threatened if they advocate to change? Well, it, it, the, the only alternative we have to move human civilization forward is some courage and heroism, one by one. And I'm told by some feminists who work with battered women in shelters that clergy in certain instances have interceded on behalf of the beaten girl or woman. But what they have yet to do, and that means Muslim clergy, imams and mullahs, um, what none of the clergy have yet done is preach against it from the pulpit and dare to consider excommunicating those families that practiced it. Excom and in fact, I've had a very radical idea, which I've been, you know, told not to think this way. How could we rid the West of this practice? And we can't measure how many, because like incest, it's a under the radar crime, although there are stats of various kinds. I don't know, I think after you arrest the entire family that conspired, collaborated, instigated, and perpetrated an honor killing, after they've done their time in jail, I think that the lesson should be the entire family will be deported. And perhaps if we did this, even though it's very radical, collective punishment, not, not American in terms of justice, not Western justice, jurisprudence, maybe there might be some hesitation because we would then be deporting the innocent together with the guilty, the hands-on perpetrators together with those who idly stood by as their sister's blood was shed. It's a radical thought. So you mentioned that many are not reported, but do you have any statistics on how many honor killings occur per year and which country does the most? It's a good question. So the United Nations, they keep telling us since the beginning of the 21st century that it's 5,000 honor killings a year everywhere. And I say, oh no, that's only for the Punjab because there are feminists in Pakistan who are Act, the Orat Foundation is one, but there's also another one. They're giving us stats of anywhere from 800 a year, uh, 500 to 600 a year in different regions in Central Asia. 
So they're, they're really, I can't give a real, I wouldn't trust anyone even who did fancy statistics with an incidence rate, because think of it this way, in the West, there's plenty of rape. Most of it, the rape kits go untested and no one ever comes to trial. But more important, most women don't report it because they know that it's gonna be a long haul and they will be put on the stand and grilled about their lives. So we don't have a real incident rate, even though the FBI gives us stats every year. So we have no incest incidents rate, although there are studies that suggest one in seven women, one in six women have had sexual abuse in childhood by an older male relative, father, grandfather, brother, cousin, and so uncle. We don't have good incidence rates of these uh, hidden family crimes. where the family covers it up. Oh, she ran away. She, she disappeared one day. She never came home, right? So how can we have a, a serious incidence, right? I don't think it's possible. We have time for two, well, we have two more questions. Um, have you found any cases of honor killings in the U.S. perpetrated by people born here as opposed to immigrants? Um, there are sons of immigrants who were here at five months of age. And I'm thinking of one Canadian Afghan son who killed his sister and her fiance seated in a car in, a car in Ottawa. Siddiqui was her name. May they all rest in peace. There was another Afghan uh, family, very high profile, um, where the children grew up here and one of the children, a brother, collaborated with the parents, the Safiya case. Um, I think that's a very good question. I, I think that so many people who immigrate, and there are many exceptions, in their minds, in their cultural practices, in their view of women, their own women, or infidel women, think of the grooming gangs in, in England, they're still in the old country. They're not assimilated. And some of them are born in the West. Understood, thank you. So that leads me into the last question. Uh, what can we do to better educate families and communities? You touched on this earlier, but can you just mm -hmm. tell us? Well, it would be a very serious social work, grassroots educational effort. Um, you, there was a woman, Molly Melching, who dealing with FGM in Africa, decided that she would persuade the families of marriageable men to accept brides who were not genitally mutilated. That was a very interesting approach. And it worked. I don't know whether she continues this work. I don't know whether others have, have taken it up. So imagine if we went into a, Muslim, a mosque or into small groups of Muslim families and said that anyone who practices an honor killing for the, for the following reasons will not only be tried and 
deported, jailed, tried, jailed, and deported if they're guilty. But um, there's another way to do it in America. And then we'd have to spell out and think of the job that entails. We'd have to spell out what, not, not the punishments, but the advantages. Girls could get an education, they can add to the family income, they can live uh, not just on the public dole, but productively, and they can still honor their families, they can still honor their religions. This would be a massive outreach educationally. And indeed, if we could get imams and mullahs to help with this, that would be terrific. We have come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Dr. Chesler, for speaking with us today. Uh, Dr. Chesler has been so kind as to send me a copy of her book, Family Conspiracy, Honor Killings. If you would like to pick one up, I'm sure you can anywhere that books are sold. Amazon.com also has them. Um, and I look forward to reading this. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Each Wednesday we, at 3 p.m. Eastern, we are joined by Ashley Perry to brief us on current events in Israel. On Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we welcome Sarah Stern speaking on how to reform Middle East studies at American universities. Please be sure to check out our website, meforum.org, or our YouTube channel and SoundCloud for recordings of past webinars. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.